You're listening to the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey, a leading multi-platform audio content and entertainment company. Listen on the Odyssey app. For the ANA Champions of Growth Podcast, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Marcel Marcondes needs more shelf space. The global CMO at AB InBev, whose brands include Budweiser, Stella Artois, and Corona, has racked up numerous awards lately, including Adweek's Brand Genius 2022. That was followed by the announcement last month that Cam Lyon awarded AB InBev with its Creative Marketer of the Year award for the second straight year, the first time a company has repeated as winner. But Marcondes is quick to attribute the accolades not only to the marketing department at large, but the entire enterprise. He joins me now to talk about setting such a high bar for ad creative, why AB InBev ceased its exclusive rights to the Super Bowl this year, and what the growing sober, curious movement means for the beer company. Marcel, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me. Let's get uh, to it uh, with a bit of news that dropped a couple of weeks ago. Ken Lyons awarded Anheuser-Busch InBev with its Creative Marketer of the Year Award for the second straight year. That's the first time a company is repeated as winner of the accolade. So congratulations. How are you raising the bar on ad creative? What do you attribute to the winning streak? Usually what happens in uh, within companies is that they can have good years, bad years in terms of uh, creative effectiveness, or they have a specific team that is doing better than, than average. And that team might hit some home runs in one year, which then makes their work become heavily celebrated and recognized. For us, this is meaningful because we really believe in this becoming real ways of working for us as an organization. We really believe we're in the business of driving organic growth. So as you know, ABI was created or became the number one brewery in the world, mainly via acquisitions over time. So we're known for our cost discipline, for all the financial capabilities and for growing inorganically. But then once you become the number one company in your industry, you need to change the growth algorithm. Then you have to play the organic growth game to expand the category, to grow the pie as a whole. And this is how you grow. And this is what enables everybody else within the industry to grow as well. And and that's the shift that we are making as a company. It's a big strategic shift that we're making as a company. And whenever any given company decides to grow organically, brands become inevitably the most important assets of that organization. And that's exactly the mindset that we have now. We need to grow organically. To grow organically, the way to go is by building strong brands that really connect and add value with consumers. These ways of working that we believe in having now is on using creative effectiveness to come up with creative solutions for business and consumer problems. That's how our brands come to life every day. After 30 years, ABNBev chose to give up its long-running exclusive rights to the Super Bowl. That's for Bud Light, Michelob Ultra, and Bush Light, joined by other beer and alcohol brands. What led to that decision, which got a lot of attention, and how does it jive with your overall marketing strategy moving forward? Well, it's great to have exclusivity. You feel protected. You feel like you're the only one playing. But when you put the consumer shoes on, when you use the consumer lenses, what exactly does it mean? Especially for Super Bowl, exclusivity nowadays from a consumer perspective is very questionable because we were talking about exclusivity on national television only. For regional TV, anybody could advertise. For digital, 
for social media, anybody could advertise. So from a consumer perspective, the exclusivity concept was highly questionable. So we decided to make our decisions using the consumer lenses. And therefore, we are keeping our strength. We believe in the, in the Super Bowl as a big moment to connect with consumers. Watching sports is a huge beer occasion. But not, are not only watching sports, but they are there to watch the ads. So this is why we continue being, if not, I, I'm not really sure if the number one advertiser of Super Bowl, but if it's not the number one, it's for sure we, we are still one of the top five advertisers of Super Bowl. I mean, in terms of was it strictly a cost-benefit analysis in the sense that the consumer frankly, didn't really care whether it was exclusive rights or not. We were motivated first because of consumer behavior and second because of costs. It was not a cost-centric decision. It was a consumer-centric decision. We okay. are shifting investments around as well, but it's a, it's a consequence of how to better connect to consumers. We're not interested in saving dollars. To switch gears a little bit, AB InBev brand Neutral Vodka Seltzer launched its first national campaign, Neutral, the one with the umlaut late last month with rollout in the next few months across multiple media channels. Talk to the company's expansion strategy when it comes to the seltzer market and how it plays into consumers' growing demands for more simplicity, health, and wellness. We've been educated to believe that a great marketer is the one that manages to convince consumers to buy whatever you sell, whatever you make. And I think it's becoming crystal clear to all of us that a good marketer works in a totally different way. It's not about working to convince consumers to connect with you. It's about working to adjust the company to offer consumers what they want and what they need. So we are the ones that have to change to better serve consumers instead of working to try to convince consumers to change to fit what we do. And this is a great question for that because we are a beer company. And we start to see a lot of people drinking what we refer to as beyond beer. Seltzers, ready to drink cocktails. So you can react to that saying, this is not my business because I do beer, I'm a brewery. And so my job is to convince consumers to prefer beer over these other types of beverages. But that's not the decision that we're making. We made the decision to become a real consumer-centric organization. So we need to embrace it instead of fighting against it. And then I think the insight that we get as we try to understand why consumers are drinking these other beverages, Matthew, the conclusion is the following. Between 20 and 30% of alcoholic drinkers, they are looking for two main attributes when they're choosing their beverage. They're looking for something fruity and flavorful. When you connect fruity and flavorful as the two most important attributes that you can easily conclude that beer would not necessarily be their first choice anyways. So we have a simple choice to ignore this base of consumers or to adjust the way we work to offer them what they're looking for. And that's what we're doing. And this is what made us decide to get into this business as well. When you see Neutro, which is a vodka-based seltzer, this is one of the propositions that we're developing to address that. And, and it's already the number two player in that segment, although it exists in the US for less than a year. We have Cutwater, which is ready to drink cocktail. It's a real cocktail. You can have a real margarita. You can have a, a real uh, Mai Tai. You choose the cocktail. We have the technology to make it ready to drink in a can. So this is all about offering these people what they're looking for with the convenience of having it ready to drink instead of having to prepare uh, that at home. And so it becomes an incremental business for us. And we bring this 20-ish percent of the population into the, uh, the business as well. I want to stay in this lane in terms of people drinking beer less. What's your take on dry January, which seems to be seeping into other months, and the sober curious movement? 
Do you think these trends might start to eat into your market in any way? And are they the reasons why the company has been so aggressive on the expansion front? This trend is very positive for beer, Matthew, because beer is the beverage of moderation. Think about any alcoholic beverage. Probably what comes through your mind is beer, vodka, whiskey, wine. Almost all the time, if not all the time, whenever you think about any alcoholic product, beer will be the alcoholic product with the lowest level of alcohol. So beer has four-ish percent of alcohol on average. If you go to spirits, four becomes 40, 50, 60. So this trend makes people get more connected with beer because of the natural composition of beer. On top of the alcoholic level, Matthew, beer is natural. Beer is made with natural ingredients, right? It's barley, hops, water. That's what makes beer. It has the lowest alcoholic level and it's made with natural ingredients. So when you talk about these trends, they naturally lead people to be closer to beer. Beer has been gaining share of throat globally for the last five years consistently. So is it the harder stuff that's going down? The whiskey, the gin, when we talk about dry January and the, and the sober uh, curious? They're the ones that go down first without a doubt. You can also take into consideration that beer is the only segment in the alcoholic industry with a meaningful zero alk proposition. So not only beer is naturally a low alk uh, uh, product, but beer also has meaningful zero alk propositions uh, available at any corner in supermarket. But you're expanding your portfolio beyond the liquid product. Last, last summer, AB InBev opened Corona Island. The tropical resort offers visitors firsthand training and eco-driven workshops with the hope that guests will apply the environmental lessons when they go back home. Is this really a springboard to penetrate the hospitality market further? I know you also have some Corona branded bars that have opened in Asia. Is this really the crest of a wave? This is the first pilots that we did with that level of intensity, right? That, that, that was a big effort uh, that we made to, to have an island. It's something unusual. But it speaks highly of the, the level of belief we have in the brand proposition, Matthew. I think the secret here is to be authentic to what the brand really stands for. Corona is made with 100% natural ingredients. And on top of it, you have Corona with a lime. That's the product composition. Then the brand stands for inviting you to disconnect from your routine in the urban environment and reconnect to yourself at a natural environment. It's to be outdoors, outside. Every piece of advertising you're going to see coming from Corona will always take place in the outdoors. So that's the brand proposition. Get out of your routine a little bit and go outside. That's where we come from. That's what we're made of. The beer is made of natural ingredients. We were born like this, so we are at our best. Outside is our best side. That's what we say internally for Corona. What we're doing here is to double down on the brand proposition, on what the brand stands for, and to raise the bar on the kind of experience that we offer by bringing to life what the brand represents so that people can have the best brand experience they, they could think of. And this is why it's not only about having an island, it's about the details you just mentioned. The island has all the toughest certifications in terms of sustainability. It's an icon, it's at the edge of the trends on that as well, because we need to walk the talk. It's a very tricky and tough pilot to put together because it's very hard to build a resort like this. Do you think we can expect to see more Corona Islands? 
Uh, that's the idea. Uh, we're on year two. I can tell you that it's fully booked already for the year. In confidence, I can tell you we are working on plans to expand the concept. Still to be confirmed, but that's the ambition for sure. Do these various strategies also play into demographics? Millennials and Gen Z's taste shifts beyond traditional beverages, beyond traditional vacationing into alternative ways of living. And isn't that something that a lot of CMOs need to think about, regardless of the space, when considering generational shifts in taste, in terms of being more anticipatory, instead of solely relying on what the data tells you what consumers are doing right now? It's a human business. We're, de we're dealing with human beings. It needs to be an obsession for us to understand the consumers we serve in a way that is as deep as possible so that we can observe all the nuances that make people different. We are different and more and more every day we see all the social movements that are coming to life exactly to remind ourselves that we need to respect the differences. That's a big part of every CMO's job. Demographic is one angle, but it goes way beyond that because the same people behave in different ways according to the occasion that they're in. And this is something that for our industry matters a lot. So if you pay attention to what we do with some of our brands, we just spoke about Corona, which is all about the outdoors. If we talk about Stella Artois, and if you see a reel of Stella campaigns, you're going to see that Stella is always connected with food. Here we have a lot of Gen Z people, but not only Gen Z people, but we focus on that food-related occasion because in those moments, they expect a beer with a certain type. Stella goes really well because of the product profile with European hops. It's a full-body classic lager that comes served in a chalice that has a rigor and a, a showing that is different from a regular beer moment so that you can have it on a nice table when you're having a meal, when you're having a dinner. And then we position that brand so that we can invite people to have dinners, not in isolation, not alone, but having more people around to make meals more meaningful and, and a bigger moment of connection. If you take a brand like Bud Light, if you take Budweiser in, in many places, like you're going to see a lot of the sports occasions because this is a light beer, which is the perfect beer that goes well when you're watching sports. And then we focus a lot on that kind of occasion. So we think a lot about who is the consumer, but also what's the consumption occasion. And those are the two big dimensions that we put together when you define liquid proposition, when you define packaging, and when we, we define advertising as well. Stay with us. There's more to come. We now take a break for a brief message regarding ANA Newsstand. The ANA produces four in-house publications covering the latest developments and trends in B2C, B2B, brand purpose, and across the industry at large. With practical insights from leading brand marketers, agency partners, and industry experts, our publications are designed to give marketers the real-world intelligence they need to drive growth and boost their value. Find the publications at ana.net slash newsstand. And now back to our show. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Marcel Marcondas, global CMO at AB InBev, about some of the major changes Marcel has led in the last five years at the company when it comes to marketing and advertising. I want to talk about some of the company's numbers, which tell a positive story. AB InBev had a solid year in 2022, with revenue up 11%, total volume up nearly 2.3%, and EBITDA up nearly 7.2%. The company also had a record level of growth, hitting $57.8 billion in revenue. And that's all a significant rebound from the hit the company took during the COVID-19 pandemic, when company revenue dipped to $46.8 billion. 
So what do you attribute to the growth rates from both the macro and micro perspectives? We have a lot of consistency and clarity in our strategy. We have three strategic principles that are very simple. If you ask anybody in this company, everybody will play it back to you very easily. Point number one is to lead and grow the category. It's all about understanding that the way we grow now is not about just trying to steal market share from the competition. It's about enlarging and growing the whole pie. That's what leaders do. This is why pillar number one is called lead and grow the category. Pillar number two is to digitize and monetize the ecosystem. We have a very powerful ecosystem, which now includes business to business, more than 50% of our revenues, globally speaking, they come from digital sales that we do on a B2B basis. This is a huge uh, revolution in the way we do business. This digitization of the business is strategic pillar number two, because it makes money on its own, but also, of course, it boosts the performance of the company as a whole. And then strategic pillar number three is optimizing the business, which is all about the discipline on investing our resources behind fewer, bigger, bolder initiatives that will really make a difference in driving growth. This is the one, two, three that is very clear to everybody. The more we bring it to life, the more momentum we create. And this is when brands have a meaningful role to play because to drive organic growth, it's all about brands. And so the KPIs that we're seeing now and the beauty of what we saw in 2022, you highlighted a few of the main KPIs. What I like is to see the link between them. So we started this conversation with the question that you made about us being the creative marketers of the year in Ken for the second time in a row. So that is great, but it's the kind of accolade that you and I know that is relevant when and if it gets connected with results as well. I love to see that this came together in the same year when we achieved our all-time high figures in tracking brand power. Brand power is how we track the equity of our brands. It's a Kantar KPI that is public, and the, but the majority of the CPGs buy it. So we achieved our all-time high level in the power of our brands. This connects in a very good way with all-time high volumes because stronger brands should command stronger volumes. It's excellence in brand building, which connects with all-time high brand power, which connects with all-time high volumes, and ultimately, it co connects with beer gaining share of throat. This is what proves the point that we're leading and growing the category. And then we grow together because the category is growing, and as leaders, we grow together. Well, the proof is in the pudding, of course, when we talk about the relationship between a great creative and spiking the top and bottom lines. Let's talk about Michelob Ultra's McEnroe versus McEnroe ad campaign, winning a gold lion at Cannes Lions last year. It's a terrific spot, it really is, with a lot of cinematic value in which beer is not even seen. Talk to that ad and what it says about how the company is approaching ad creative in this ever-changing marketplace. So you're going to see that something that we learned over the years is that when we talk about creative work, the trap is when you chase culture, is when you believe that good creative is creative that makes people talk about it, period. We learned over time that creativity for the sake of creativity first means nothing. We're not in the business of entertainment. We're here to sell beer. We learned that the, the most powerful approach is when you use creativity to solve real business or consumer problems. In this case, McEnroe versus McEnroe was first and foremost a creative mechanism to solve a business problem. It's consistent to what the brand stands for because it talks about it's only worth it if you enjoy it. And this is why we chose McEnroe. 
right? Which is a guy that is known by complaining and fighting and arguing. Let's show McEnroe enjoying, having a good time. This is unique on its own, right? That's the creative lenses. The real point that we were trying to learn from was on the shift from being a media buyer to becoming the content itself. What we did with McEnroe with McEnroe was we knocked on the broadcaster's doors and said, if we can come up with a show that is all about McEnroe playing against an hologram of McEnroe, if we put the tech to make it work for the first time ever, would you buy it? And ESPN said, of course, I would buy it. I would give you one hour of prime time and I would broadcast it in more than 50 countries. Then we said, okay. So we worked to produce the content to make it happen. We spent zero dollars in media and ESPN said, thank you for the amazing content. We're going to broadcast it in 50 markets for free for you because it's a win-win. So this was all about testing new ways of making our brands relevant to consumers. And I also wanted to mention Michelob Ultra's Contract for Change, the initiative which is designed to inspire U.S. farmers to go organic and transform more than 100,000 acres of farmland to produce ingredients for Michelob's Ultra Pure Gold Organic, which earned the Creative Effectiveness Grand Prix also at Cannes last year. Can you talk to that effort and what other brand managers might learn from it? I think the angle here is always to pay attention to the fact that we're always using creativity to solve a problem. In this case, it was both a consumer problem and a business problem. As you know very well, organic food has been growing significantly in the last decade. But for some reason, there was no organic beer in the marketplace at all just did not exist. So this was a big consumer problem. When you, if you ask consumers, like, would you like to have an organic beer? They say, hell yeah. We said, we want to fix this problem. This is what led us to the business problem. The reason why it did not exist was that one, it was damn expensive. And two, there was not enough organic grains to brew organic beer. So we had to figure out a way to start from the beginning, to reach out to farmers and say, why don't you convert your farmland from tradition to organic? And the answer was, because it takes three years to do that, and I put all my business at risk because I lose three years of production, and then what happens if afterwards I don't have a business? Then we came up with a deal where we would commit to their revenues during the, the, the period of transition, and we would commit with buying organic grains that would come out of those farmers for years. So they would be secure and safe to do the transition. We invited consumers in, and then we said, Let's do this big deal here. The more we can sell the first batches of the organic beer, we're going to use a percentage of the revenues to fund a greater level of transition of the farmland. For every six pack that you consumer buy, this means that we will be converting an X amount of land from traditional to organic in the farmland. It was a big ecosystem that we created so that farmers could convert their farmlands into organic so that we could guarantee years of organic grains of production and then produce it and then offer it to consumers. But it would depend on consumers giving us a hand to make this whole process feasible. So this involved Super Bowl campaigns, trade campaigns, very local campaigns that we had in the farm states to really connect with, with farmers. It was a big company effort. And then it resulted with us being able to launch the first national organic beer in the US. We made more than $100 million of revenues coming out of that product. We solved the consumer problem, we solved the business problem, and we had to use creativity to figure out all those elements. 
And Marcel, you tie all of this right brain, left brain, whole brain thinking together. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that you were named Adweek's Brand Genius 2022. You've also been featured on Forbes, world's most influential CMOs list, and Adweek's top 50 marketers across marketing, media, and technology. So my question is, how does a, quote, brand genius, end quote, think about the marketplace from both a practical level as well as an inspirational level and the all-important execution? We celebrate whenever those accolades happen because it's a recognition of the work that the company does. It's a recognition for ABI. It's a recognition for our commercial teams, our marketing teams, our agency partners. It's a big collective effort. Sometimes I'm the spokesperson and my name goes attached to it. But of course, it's just a representation of what we do. What it means is it's meaningful for a company that is really working hard to lead organic growth, to behave as a leader, to expand the category, the industry, to take it to the next level, to be seen as a company that's doing edgy work. But also for CMOs, we're going through a big shift in what it means to be a CMO. I really believe that one of the biggest trends in the world and in every industry will be moving forward humanity. The pandemic changed everything. It made people wake up to the fact that everybody wants to live better. Everybody wants to be treated individually. Everybody wants to have their differences being respected. And so I think the successful companies moving forward will be the ones that best adjust themselves to that new reality. The winning companies will be the ones that best understand how to treat consumers as individuals, as human beings. The ones that manage to understand what they're made of, what they need, what they're looking for, and to adjust the way they work to better serve those consumers. So this brings a big responsibility to the job of the CMO because inside of the company, the CMO needs to be the ambassador of consumers. And it needs to be an ambassador internally of the shifts the company has to go through so that the company can serve those consumers better. And what makes us all excited here is to see that not only the work is being recognized, but the reason it's being recognized is that we are solving consumer problems. This solidifies also the work that we do and the role of CMOs inside companies. Some people still see CMOs as the ones that do TV campaigns. We're here to make sure that the company addresses what consumers are looking for so that we can drive growth. I'm going to leap ahead and go to our lightning round, which is the biggest challenge facing CMOs right now. I would go back to really work as a big champion of consumers. This is the key to everything. If you really know which are the problems your consumers have, you'll be in a great position to do intentional initiatives and meaningful things that will solve consumer problems. Uh, this is where growth comes from. When you give something that people need, when, when you give something that people are looking for, this is when they connect with you, both functionally and emotionally. This is when they say thank you. It's all about working to be meaningful instead of working to be visible. When you work to be meaningful, when you solve people's problems or business problems, you make a difference and this translates into results. When you work to be visible, you can even generate conversation, but this doesn't translate into anything. And then you become somebody that is spending money instead of somebody that's driving growth. And a, a very uh, illuminating and a positive note to end on. Marcel, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. It's been a big pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity and I really enjoyed our time together. You bet. Big thanks to my guest today, Marcel Marcondes, Global CMO at AB InBev. To learn more about the company, go to ab-inbev.com. If you would like to recommend a guest or topic for a future episode, please email me at mschwartz at ana.net. And be sure to subscribe to Champions of Growth wherever you listen to podcasts. 
That's all for now. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thanks for joining me. This has been a presentation of the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey.